This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. And welcome, everybody, to this episode of Coming On with John Allen. We had some technical problems, but now we're back on the air. I want to thank you all for being here. Uh, very briefly, I want to remind everybody, if you go to my website, johnallenpod.com, that's where you find all of the work that I do. Uh, prior podcast episodes, this podcast episode, uh, my book, my audio book, which is out and available, go to johnallenpod.com, and that's where you find all of that. Now, for the second time, take two. Welcome, Arlen Sinclair. So nice to have you here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. It feels kind of fake when we have to redo the introduction and everything, (laughs) but it's my fault because I forgot to push the the, the recording for the sound. So it feels kind of fake, but for the sake of our listeners, let's just go through this again. You are a two-time author and a blogger. The books that you have written are Castle in the Big City and The Song of Kushle. Uh, people can find your blog at and information about these books at arlininthearctic.com. I'll put a graphic up there so people know how to spell everything. Um, but it's important to me that people go and check you out. I ran across you on social media, got interested in your story right away. I reached out, I contacted you, and here we are. And thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I'm I'm really excited. Yeah, so am I. This has been this is not a long time coming, but it's been I've been excited waiting for you these last few weeks. It's real good to have you here. Um, I want to start off with a question, and this is one of the, the the things about you that interests me, and that's your backstory. What brought you to Norway, and when? So uh, I've wanted to move to Norway for a long time, um, and. My husband received an incredible opportunity. I, obviously, for those looking to move abroad, it's not easy. Um, and we didn't really think um, we'd actually get here. Um, he is a glacial. It's not. It's not. And he's a glacial um, researcher. So this is kind of like we're up in northern, northern Norway. And this is really like his dream being able to do more climate change research. Um, So it's kind of our love story. I put on my dating profile that I wanted to to live abroad, a Scandinavian or Nordic country for for a lot of reasons. I mean, just some of the social benefits here um, and things like that. And the the best opportunity came and seven months ago um, and at the end of October 2022, I packed my bags, left my job in the U.S., in Wisconsin and moved here. You know, yeah. at the same time, as I say, it's, it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy process to 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 get from the United States to Norway. Sometimes it is kind of easy when it's meant to be. Uh, you know, the typical love story, you know, uh, man meets, wom- meets woman, woman meets man, everything matches, roughly the same goals, everything lines up, and boom, here you are in Norway. Is it still kind of, because you haven't been here that long. How many, how long have you been here? Since the end of October, so yeah. about seven months now. So I would imagine, I'm just thinking about my time when I first came to Norway, what, 22 years ago, 22 years ago. Uh Things are probably still in a spin cycle. It's not, nothing is settled right now. Am I right? Yes. <laughs> very, it's very true. Just a 
adjusting to life and accepting this is my new life, uh, learning about a new culture and a new language. So definitely an adjustment. I'm sure it's exciting. You, uh, I'm sure, are the kind of person, you seem to be the kind of person who um, likes a little bit of uncertainty because it's an opportunity for growth. Am I right? But Yes. But in that uncertainty is that thing itself, uncertainty. And that's not conducive at times to a peaceful <laughs> a peaceful daily life. What are some of the challenges you're meeting as you're adjusting to what it means to live in Norway? So I find that I'm starting from scratch. Yeah. So I really have to, especially in northern Norway, I don't feel like there are a ton of opportunities in my really? area. Um, even though I'm in kind of an information technology and business. Um, and people think that, oh, you can find a remote job, but with a lot of global tech layoffs and a lot of other like tax related laws, it's not like I can just find a job in any country um, and, and work remotely. So uh, a lot of people say the IT jobs, a lot of those are in Oslo. Um, so here I'm finding well, I'm in I'm in the Arctic. You're, um, you're, in, Tromsø. you're in Tromsø. In Tromsø, right? yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I I find that I have to uh, adjust. Um, and now I'm thinking of building um, my own career, um, starting entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur, um, and that's an adjustment. But as a result, now that I'm starting new, it's kind of hard to explore the culture as much as I'd like you know uh, you're still settling in yourself and when you're not when you're focused on having financial stability then you don't feel like you can branch out and explore as much as you'd like or learn as much as you'd like so I'm finding that to be a challenge that is a big challenge that I think a lot of you know having spoken with so many Americans in Norway uh, up through the years I think the number one challenge is finding that financial stability you know some people come here on some sort of study grant you know a PhD or something like that uh, some people come here you know having been hired into some IT company some sort of tech or, or uh, uh, yeah things like that programming and stuff like engineering but a lot of people are coming with a spouse and it's the spouse who has that job or the spouse who's gotten that uh, is going for that PhD and the person I'm talking with is just kind of there trying to rebuild their entire identity because it is an opportunity to, to, to start with what you want, to be who you want, maybe drop some old bad habits and pick up some new ones that you've wanted to and now here's the opportunity to do that. So there's some excitement with it, but but I bet you're a little stressed. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I, I have to remember this was a dream of ours yeah. um, and it came... <laughs> unexpectedly but it, it was a dream of ours so you're absolutely right just being able to to look at this as a new beginning yeah. I'm able to start over so I I feel very fortunate about that I think about how uh you know like I said I've been here over 20 years and it's a little different economic situation um uh, but but having said that when I got here I got I was very fortunate I got a job right right away um it kind of just, you know, things just kind of lined up and I got a great job right away. My wife 
was a nurse, psychiatric nurse, so she was making great money back then. So there was no stress about getting into that economic situation. But it seems like Norway is turning into, um, uh, it, it, it's, it's in the middle of a transition where it used to be that families didn't have to put in as many hours in order to make things work. But now you've got to have that two-income family. You've got to have that hustle and bustle. With that challenge in front of you, how does that fit within your uh, desire to possibly start as an entrepreneur, to work for yourself? I think I, um, I'm i not putting all of my eggs in one box basket. I'm still applying for other jobs, especially okay. now that uh, we are trying to start a family. Um, and that's one of the reasons we moved here. We, we were concerned for safety and safety of our children um, in the U.S. So moving here, I feel like it, it's great to start my entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, but I'm also in the back of my mind, I'm, on the side, I'm still applying to jobs yes. and still, still figuring it out. But um, it's still new for me. So I, I don't think that um, I don't think I'll figure everything out overnight but it's it's exciting it's so like oh it's, I, it's, can, yeah. I can do this it's, yeah. it's definitely exciting and like i say it's it's an opportunity uh and i'm not trying to preach but but i found that when i immersed myself in that opportunity to reform my identity in some ways reinforce my identity in others that whole process right there got real exciting and 20 some years later it's still exciting you know, I'm still very much aware of the fact that I can do what I want, be who who I want. And I think when you're forced, well, not forced because we chose to move here, but when you're when you're faced with this sudden open door in the in the early stages of our adult lives, where the choices you make are gonna really, really set you on a path, uh, whether you wanted it to or not, because that's the thing: the choices you make. You don't know what's going to come later. I had no idea I would be doing the work that I'm doing now when I made my decisions 20-some years ago. Uh, but the journey, it's the journey. It's being open for the learning. It's being open for the challenge. Yeah, definitely. And I I really am a firm believer of, of just dreaming. And really, no one is going to support your dream more than than you do. You are the driver yes. of your dream. And um, I feel like people often, you tell them, I don't think anyone thought that I, I could actually get here. Um, but I think people place those limitations, uh, things that they think they could achieve or things that they think they, <laughs> they can't achieve. Um, and they place those limitations on other people. But as you know, being an author yeah. yourself, it, it can be challenging and it's a lot of hard work, um, and a lot of people won't believe in, in those dreams. But well, you... well, well, yeah, it is a lot of hard work, and that whole thing about people almost actively uh, throwing negativity in my path, I started to realize that right away. People, you know, the you know, what do you want to go there for? Ew, you know, what is that? You know, and even to this day, why are you still there? And and when they ask those questions, I'm very ready to answer them. 
But then when they ask me, you know, why are you still there? I'm like, well, because it's beautiful, because it's safe for my kids, because this. And it's almost as if they just pull the curtain and turn their back because they just want to continue with that narrative. And I think it's because it supports their own place where they are in their life. They're looking for someone to share their frustration and misery with. And that's unfortunately way too common with a lot of people. Yeah. There's not enough positivity in the world. There just isn't. Yeah. Let me ask you something. You, uh, to, just to take a little sidestep, and I want to come back to your um, desires as an entrepreneur, and I want to talk more about your book, but you mentioned something about one of the reasons for you and your husband wanting to come here is because it would be safer. You felt it was, there was an issue with safety uh, uh, back in the States. Can you talk more about that? What is it that you were concerned about? A number of things. Yeah, uh, lay, lay it out there. Let's talk. About it. Let's talk about it. I mean, I, I, as a woman, as a black woman, just really being exposed to racism, things that, and I know you've experienced, um, and things that become very difficult to share. It's this weight that we carry all the time. Any, any place you go, even in Norway, you know. Um, but I know that my children are going to have those same things. And I, I'm going to have to think about their safety. And, and not even in terms of race, but in terms of just day-to-day -day life, being in school. You hear about a lot of mass shootings in the U.S. And it's, it seems very far away and very slim. Um, like the chances are slim, but the fact that we still have these things, um, these issues yeah. is, is very difficult. Um, and I actually, my neighbor in my old apartment, we lived in Madison, Wisconsin. It's a very liberal city. Um, didn't really think something like this would happen next door, but one of our neighbors, um, uh, I believe his name was and he was arrested by the FBI for being part of the January 6th insurrection. Uh, oh. yeah. uh, yeah. and, and he, it was really uh, an eye-opening experience. How so? Um, How so? Yeah. So I just thought, well, this is really close. This is really close to us. Um, and we are the kind of couple who we... On Saturdays, we disconnect from everything. We talk to, to each other. He's yeah. um, a white man, so we're in an interracial relationship. And we know that that the way that our relationship works is different than other people. He understands that he has privileges that I don't have. And um, we talk about what that's going to mean for our children. Um, Important conversations to have. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we decided after just the, the last few years, especially, we decided, we thought, well, if there's any any time to move, it's now before yeah. we have children. You don't want to, you, you want to, um, you don't want your children to be settled in a place and then have to tear them away from home. Um, so we thought, you know, now is the time. Let, let me ask you a question, because there's, there's a demographic out there who, when, uh, when this topic comes up, 
when 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 black people say these kind of things that you're saying, you know, I'm concerned about my safety. Uh, I'm, I'm worried about what my kids are going to be exposed to. Uh, you know, this is a bad situation or this is a situation that the, at the very least concerns me. You know, this whole thing happening in the States. What do you say to that demographic that says, what are you talking about? If you just live right, if you just follow the law, you, you won't have anything to worry about, blah, blah, blah. Have you been, have you been approached directly by anyone who falls into that line of thinking? Uh, and if you haven't, I'm sure you've at least heard it. What are your thoughts about that? I think people don't really understand what they don't experience for themselves. This, sadly so. Sadly so. And you know, even with even with COVID, people really can't empathize with people unless they experience that loss for themselves. Um, as a as a black woman, I knew that coming here, um, I knew that I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't see a ton of people who share my racial or ethnic identity, but I had to prioritize my safety yeah. and the safety of my children. And I knew that Norway is praised for being safe. So do I want to, would I rather um, endure Ender um, being away from people who are like me, or would I would I rather be um, would I rather feel feel safe? And I I I prioritize safety and safety for my children. So when I when I speak to people like that, when I see people like that, it's disheartening. I've learned over time dealing with this that it's hard to change people's minds if people are racist. There's no point in arguing. Yeah. You know, it's really hard to change our minds. I think if, if someone is unsympathetic to what black Americans experience in America, or even what black people in general experience in Norway, if someone is unsympathetic to that, meaning that they don't agree that it's an issue, that's something that can be discussed. And if one is open to learning, then one can learn. But if one is a racist, of course you have these stories of people who have a, uh, uh, you know, an epiphany, almost a, a, a rebirth in their line of thinking. But you know, you got a forty-year-old racist who was raised that way and has lived that life. You're not, you're probably not going to change their mind. And I do believe that that is a waste of time. But knowing that, then what can be done about issues of racism? Uh, xenophobia and discrimination what what is there to be done or is there anything to be done about that to fix it I think there's a ton to be done um, I think a lot of uh, a lot of us black people and people of color are doing a lot of that work I think it's time for people who have the privilege the power proximity to power to, to stand up and do some of that work to help us, you know, I, and my, my husband understands it, you know, yes. being a white man, being, he, he understands that he has that and he has an opportunity to help other people. So I don't think it's our responsibility, only ours. You well, know? and that's beautifully said. And I'm, I, I, I believe in that as well. Um, you know, we can, and we have, you know, put the word out there about what we've experienced and, what it, it does uh, to us and against us and how 
all of America would benefit if America didn't suffer from such racism, xenophobia, and discrimination. We've been doing that for 400 years, talking about it. And I fully agree that what it's going to take is for the white majority, especially those who have the power in that within that white majority, uh, I guess I'm talking mostly about white men, they're going to have to not just be silent sympathizers, but they're going to have to be a fired-up, active supporter. And that active support comes by speaking on it. That comes by... Uh, 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 you know, putting your money, literally your money where your mouth is, active support instead of this silent sympathizing. Amen. <laughs> so can you tell me about your experience here with racism or you've been here for uh, over 20 years and you, uh, you probably know, you definitely know more about the culture and the people than I do. Uh, can you tell me about your experiences here? Um, I have quite the dynamic life. Uh, I've had the, quite the dynamic life here in Norway. Some of it has been absolutely amazing. Some of it has been horrible. All in all, I would say it's been amazing. So that can tell you that the amazing, good, and, and, and socially giving and financially profitable times have been much, much greater than those horrible times. But those horrible times have been horrible. Uh, one way in which the horrible times have manifested themselves is through Norwegian racism. Uh, Norwegian racism does exist. Hello, Norwegians who deny it. It does exist. But see, that goes back to that uh, inability to sympathize, that inability to see outside of your own bubble. Uh, I get it. There's pro there are there's there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Norwegians that don't have a clear view of what racism is we see that all the time they think that if someone just doesn't like them and doesn't invite them to a party a fellow white norwegian they'll say yes they were racist against me they say that so that tells me that they have a different definition of what racism is but that racism that we live through that that very harsh and very clear and damning uh, uh condemnation uh segregation exclusion of us because of the color of our skin and our ethnic background, that does exist in Norway. And I believe that the biggest problem Norway has is that there are way too many people who deny that. Um, I had uh, personally uh, three different occasions where my wife and I were not able to buy the home that we wanted. Now, that never happened to me in America. I always lived where I wanted to in America, but here in Norway, on three different occasions, we couldn't buy a home because I'm black. Uh, I've told this before on my show, and I've spoken uh, in different, uh, in front of different organizations uh, and spoken about this, but I'll say it again for the purposes of, of letting you know and just putting it out there again on my show. Uh, the most blatant example of that um, inability to buy a home where we wanted was we were... Um, well, let me preface it by saying my wife is Norwegian, but when we talk with each other, we speak English. I'm fluent in Norwegian, but she and I speak only English together. Uh, and we especially did that when we first came here. You know, As I was learning Norwegian, we just spoke English together. So we were at a showing uh, for a house. Uh, it was a, a farm, a smaller farm. Uh, 
and we're walking around. We were outside at this point, walking around the property, looking at the property lines and things like that, talking to each other. And as we walked by, the, the owner, the lady who owned the farm, and the real estate agent were standing up on the, the back deck of the house, and we were walking on the grass. And as we walked by, the old lady says in Norwegian, do not sell this home to that N-word because we don't want to ruin the whole village. And uh, the real estate agent's response was something along, along the lines of, oh, don't worry, I understand, I will not. Now, that's kind of, that's probably the worst, that is the worst example of housing discrimination that I've ever experienced, but it kind of has a, th a red thread through just about all of the incidences of racism in Norway that I've experienced. It's just about always been when I'm with my wife and she and I are in public speaking English and people hear us speaking English and assume that we don't understand Norwegian. So they say the, the, the most horrible things like that. You know, don't sell this property to this N-word. He's going to ruin the village. Um, so they, they just assumed that we didn't understand what they were saying. Um, you know, and, and people think of things like that. They think that only happened in 1950s America, down south somewhere. But I'm telling people, and I tell Norwegians, these things happen everywhere not all the time, constantly, but these sentiments, these racist, xenophobic uh, uh, sentiments are ingrained in the Norwegian culture and you can find it anywhere. Or it can, better said, it can find you anywhere regardless of where you are. You never know when it's going to jump up. Um, but I, on the flip side of that, uh, when I look at, where we are now, you know, we own more than one piece of real estate here in Norway. So I won. I'm happy. So I won. You know, my wife and our kids are doing well. So I won. So I think that that needs to be said as well, that as ugly as racism, xenophobia, discrimination uh, can get. Uh, and I know people get tired. I got tired. I still get tired of it. But you've got to keep going and you cannot let them win. Um, I look at it as a challenge that I'm going to meet head on, uh, sometimes with clenched fists, and I say that figuratively, I'm not a fighter, but sometimes with an open hand and an outstretched hand, but you've got to meet it, you've got to overcome it, you've got to find a lesson that you can um, formulate so that that incidents of racism, xenophobia, uh, discrimination can be a learning moment, a teaching moment for other people, whether it's people listening to my show, people who I speak in front of groups and whatnot, whatever, turn it into a teaching moment because it's that teaching moment. Uh, when there's enough of those teaching moments, then more of the society is going to be aware that this racism does exist and it needs to be stopped and dealt with. Whew. That was a lot. <laughs> but, that's Thank my, you for but that's my experience with racism in Norway. It is yeah. there. It does uh, affect me. Um, and sadly, not a lot of us, I'm so, how do I say this? Sadly, not all of us uh, uh, black Americans or other immigrants to Norway, not all of us deal with it in a way that is to our benefit. I've seen a lot of people through the work that I do get crushed by it. And it's changed their lives forever forever. 
for the negative. And that's sad. But that's the power of racism. It's a powerful thing. Yeah. Um, I, you know, with that language barrier for me, I wouldn't have been able to pick it up at this point. But it's, yeah, yeah it's it's out there. And I, I, I tell people it exists everywhere. Yes. Um, and I absolutely agree that you cannot get crushed by it. You need to keep moving. Uh, it's people who, especially, you know, black people, people of color who have, who have fought to be, to get into the spaces and, and we've gotten it into some of those spaces. Um, So I think it's, it's really important to keep going, but I'm really sorry that you had to experience something like that. And I imagine um, because your wife is Sami. Yeah. So she experiences discrimination in Norway as well, right? She, she does, but it's in a peripheral way um, because she is a strawberry blonde Sami. Um, so you can't look at her and, and automatically come to the conclusion that she's Sami. She doesn't have the so-called traditional Sami look because she's a strawberry blonde. So what she has experienced is that people will say the most god-awful thing about Sami people while she's there. And she'll just sit and I love the way she deals with it. She deals with it with this brutal humor. She'll sit, she's told me about, she's been in meetings uh, and, and it might may come up um, where they're dealing with the family. Uh, 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 maybe one of the parents is in psychiatric care. So the family dynamic has to be discussed. And Oh, by the way, this woman is Sami. And then boom, the, the ugly, racist jokes uh, about the Sami people will come. The ugly comments and my wife will just sit there and listen and go through the whole meeting and just let it be concluded and then reveal, you know, the, 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 the truthness, the truthfulness of her being Sami and just embarrass the, you know what, out of those people. That's how she deals with it. Cause that's pretty much the only way she has ever been faced uh, uh, with her being Sami, it's through other people's comments, not knowing that she's Samisk. That sounds very much like my mother. She speaks multiple languages, and if someone's speaking Spanish about her, she'll just no, I don't, I don't understand, and then suddenly she'll turn around and start yeah. speaking Spanish back. Yep. So. No, that's what my yeah. wife does. That's how she handles it. But, it's, it's, but again, it's it's another. It's it's just. Time after time, there are so many examples of racism, xenophobia, and discrimination in Norway. And it's quite interesting how many people refuse to acknowledge that. Um, it's, a, it's a sad but true fact. But again, I'm winning. You know, my, my wife is winning. Our kids are winning. And, and hopefully, uh, uh, and again, I'm very vocal on this stuff. You see, it's no problem for me to talk about it. And I hope that these kind of discussions can help somebody else because I understand that within the scope of things, um, uh, I, you know, we're, we're, we're all immigrants, all of, you know, you and I, but there's different, there's a lot of variation within that immigrant spectrum. Uh, there's a lot of people who have come here under traumatic circumstances a lot of mental physical emotional trauma behind them and then you can only wonder how do they climb out from under the racism that the same kind of racism that you and i are and are going to be met with how does that affect someone else who has serious baggage 
You know, so I, I think about those things, and that's why I'm very, very vocal, very active in, in how I feel about those things because, you know, you're not going to hurt me. You might make me pissed off for a minute, but you ain't going to hurt me. But you might be hurting somebody else who's got a ton more baggage and not enough strength to carry that baggage and your racism. I'm on a roll. I preach when it comes to that. I, I got to talk about it. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, so so here, here you are in Norway. Uh, it's a great place to be. You know that. You came here because it's safer than the way things were developing to be in the, in the States. But what are the challenges? Uh, you, you talked a little bit about you you, you, you want to become an entrepreneur, but then at the same time, you have to put in applications for that nine to five job. You mentioned briefly in passing uh, the language. What other things are kind of lined up in front of you, you know, different things that have to be overcome as you progress towards living the life that you ultimately want to live in Norway? Um, I think one of the challenges, and I think many people find that immigrants wanting to move to a place where they feel they belong, that's really the ultimate goal. Um, if I want to call this place home, I need to feel like it's home. Yeah. Um, and some of the challenges have been being hard of hearing. So yeah. I've been hard of hearing my entire my entire life. And a lot of people, um, I feel like, especially in Europe, from from what I've experienced, uh, some some people think that Americans don't wish to learn the language. Um, so I've been in situations where, and I should know this by now, uh, every single time I go to the grocery store, Norwegians are going to ask me if I want a bag. No. But sometimes I want to hear them say, Pusa, I, I need to hear it. And sometimes I don't. So I'm like, huh? And then they translate it and say it in English. Uh -huh. But say it on the top of their lungs, like, what do you like a bug? <laughs> and I, um, Been there, I find that, <laughs> so I, I find that, you know, a lot of people, it's an invisible disability that people don't, don't know. And it's, it's challenging to learn a new language. Um, and it's also challenging because a lot of people here speak English, but that's the barrier that I, I want to overcome the most, um, understanding people and understanding the language. Um, I feel that's how you really uh, learn about a culture. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, feeling like, feeling like I belong here. Um, and like I can, I can stay here with my, my family, feel comfortable here and, and create a life for them. But what's it going to take in order for you to feel like you belong here? That's a, that's a very interesting statement. What will it take? for you to feel like you belong here? I think it's going to take um, making meaningful friendships here. Um, and so far I have, I've been able to um, make friends, especially with um, people from other parts of the world. So PhD yeah. students, it's always easier um, when they're coming from other countries, but really, um, making friends with Norwegian people, um, also feeling like my children will be seen as Norwegian 
if they grow up here, if they were born here, I want them to be seen as Norwegian. Um, so I feel like I, I need to understand people better and um, I want to feel accepted. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, um, you know, and that, that's a very interesting thing. I'm not going to try to say how you're going to feel about your kids as far as their national identity, but I can tell you, my experience has been because both of our kids are born are born here, uh, and they're very Norwegian. Although w- when they speak English, they, it's they speak in my my accent, my dialect, or whatever. Uh, because from day one, I've only spoken English with our children and demanded that they speak only English back to me. Um, so that in itself has helped them to identify with their Americanness, but I find, uh, and I guess this is my own little thing that I have to deal with. I find that as they get older, our daughter's uh, seventeen, our son is um, fifteen. Uh, as they get older, I feel like they have less and less identity with their American side. And I've heard other parents, uh, American parents who have a Norwegian spouse and. American Norwegian kids say the same thing that as the kids get older, they as a parent feel like their kids are identifying less and less with America. So watch out for that. I'm not going to say that that's going to happen, but there is a dynamic there. You know, there is an ebb and flow of things. And I guess when they live pretty much permanently here in, in Norway, that's going to be their number one identification, which is okay, uh, but it isn't. <laughs> I, I like my children to um, have both Haitian pride, um, have that Haitian identity, American identity, but also uh, growing up in Norway, I want them to feel like they could have that too. Yeah. So, yeah. They, well, I, I've, I've turned into a, um, a part-time history and uh, social studies teacher for our kids. Any chance I get, and I've always done this, any chance I get, I... Um, there's a teachable moment. There's a lesson about American history, uh, Black American history, uh, Native American. You know, I, if if there's a a moment where I can preach to them a little bit about all things America, the good and the bad, I do that to make because they're not going to get that in school. And I'm sorry, I have a lot of teachers who are friends here, but the stuff that they teach kids in order about American history is it's it's. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, so I, I took it upon myself to do that stuff myself. I'm sure you, with your Haitian background, you're going to do the same thing. You know, just make sure, because that way, if, if your kids don't identify, if, the way I look at it is if my kids end up not identifying very much with their Americanness, uh, I it's not my fault because I have taught them <laughs> everything that I can possibly teach them. That's my, that's my, Uncle John says, <laughs> you know, that's my advice to you. Just Just tell them as much as you can, even to where you think you're overdoing it. Just keep on, keep on pouring in that American history, that Haitian history, that identifying, those identifying factors, and just as all good parents will, you know. Um, Now, let me talk, let me uh, talk with you a little bit about your books. Why did you become an author? I love to write. Um, I love to write for a long time. It's been a way for me to get through through things, journaling and things like that. Um, 
but it was only in, until um, the previous uh, few years where I started writing children's books. Um, I also have novels that I haven't finished or nowhere close to finishing, but I, and I think, um, yeah, I, I, especially after moving here, I was inspired to write my book, The Song of Kushli. Um, I was actually on the plane moving here when I started writing that. And I've written a number of books since moving here, um, just kind of waking up at like 1 30 in, in the morning, just like with a notepad. Cause you have this fresh idea yes. in your head and you don't want to lose it. You got to write it down. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I, I've, I've always enjoyed writing. And finally, now that I've, I decided to start new here, I decided, you know what, let me share my work with the world. Yeah. And that's a great decision. Uh, when you started actually sharing your work, uh, how did that feel? Because th there's so many people who want to be an author. I wanted to be an author for years, but I didn't do it. There's a lot of reasons for that. And there's a lot of reasons why you didn't do it. But when you finally did it and that first book was released, what did that do for you? So it, <laughs> I, I was happy to create it. I am, I'm definitely more of a private person. So being an author and kind of sharing it with the world, you're opening up yourself to the world. You're being vulnerable. Yeah. So that was actually very challenging for me to do. Um, but, but just feeling like at least I can create something, something meaningful. Um, my book, Castle in the Big City, was the story of little me growing up in the projects of Brooklyn, New York. Um, and I know for some kids that would be, um, that would give them some hope. Sure. So I thought, you know what, maybe my books can do something for someone. Um, so it feels both good. Uh, good and a little out of my comfort zone, but I'm, I'm happy I did it. It's, uh, it's, it's very, uh, there's this feeling of emotional nakedness. You know, you're, you're putting your soul out there when you write these things, uh, unless it's a, unless it's a purely, uh, you know, if it's in the fantasy genre, that's something different. But if you're writing about your own experiences as you did with your first book, that's, I mean, you're literally putting your life out there. Um, are you a better person for it? I hope so. <laughs> I, I I think I am. I think it, it's forcing me to grow in different yes. areas. Um, and hopefully hopefully it can inspire people. If, if I can't make a living out of it, that's okay. As long as my book touches one yes one little soul that's well, all that matters and that's exactly how i look at my book my audio book that's out there it's um first and foremost i put that out there for me the one little soul that it touched is me so success it's been a therapeutic process uh for me a lot of authors who write about their own lives say that that it's very therapeutic and that is so true um the the um, the whole process of going back through the different incidences, the different experiences, the good and the bad, is rough, <laughs> but it's also fun. It's also giving. It's also the manifestation of growth, emotional, mental uh, uh, growth, and that in itself lightens the burdens that we've care that I've carried anyway 
up through my life and that leads to a better life here and now for me. So for me, that's the benefit of putting my book out there. First and foremost, it did something for me. And then by proxy, if it does things for other people, if it can somehow uh, be an example maybe of what not to do, <laughs> I don't know, uh, uh, but that it touches other people in some way, that's a bonus. And of course, that's a beautiful thing when that happens. Um, what what are you thinking going forward? Because now uh, you say you wrote um, the song of Kuchli. You wrote that on the plane over here. So is this the beginning of a new way of writing for you? It is. It's, a um, life. it's probably a different writing style or a writing genre, possibly. I don't know. Well, I, I'm not going to stop writing uh, books that um, speak to a more of a diverse audience. Um I want to um, inspire children of all, all backgrounds. So I wrote other books. Um, that book is mainly focused on uh, immigration, uh, Castle in the Big City, focused on immigrants and how they build their lives for children in, in the USA um, and all around, around the world. Um, but I want to create more books for, for children like that. So the Song of Kushli is it mostly focuses on nature and climate change. They're, they're uh, back of the book facts on climate change. Um, Glacier, the Arctic fox in that book is also going to get his own book. Um, so I, I want to create more stories about the world we live in, geology, climate change, and things like that, because that is an other issue. Yeah. But I also want to um, create more inclusive stories for children of color. Um, so yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Do you write every day? Um, pretty frequently. <laughs> I, nothing, not, I'd say I write frequently, um, almost every day. Um, if it's not a children's book that I thought of or idea, it's on my blog. Although I, as you know, I edit quite frequently. So not everything I write is available to people. Uh, but yeah, how, how about you? Um, I write just about every day. The cool thing about my audiobook is that it's still in progress. It's a subscription. So people subscribe, they get a chapter sent to them every week. Um, it's a different way of doing things, but it keeps me in that creative modus because I know that people are waiting. You know, I got to keep writing because people are waiting. So uh, that kind of process has eliminated that procrastination or that uh, imposter syndrome or whatever it was that kept me from being an author for all of those years. Um, it works very well for me and I suggest it to any budding author out there who writes but is afraid to put it out or who has ideas but they're afraid to write it. Put, uh, put a subscription out there, whether it's an audio book um, or, or a written, you know, uh, uh, format subscription, put it out there as a subscription and then your followers, your, your readers or your listeners will be waiting and you don't want to let them down. So you keep writing. And then all of a sudden you've worked yourself into a new pattern of productivity. And that's important. I think that's what stops a lot of potential authors. A lot of people are writers, but not all writers are authors. You're an author when you put that out there. And maybe if you have an audience expecting uh, um, 
uh, constant output from you. That might be what you need to get into a new modus of productivity. And you told me about that method. I thought, <laughs> that is genius. Well, that's, thank you. That's, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I've been writing a, a series of novels. I always have ideas for things, but I think writing those longer works, it, it often feels like you, you lose motivation or you think of something else. But that is a, a wonderful idea. I think, I think it is. Um, um, it works for me. And I think it could possibly work further because I, I know I, I'm in a lot of different writers groups. I've spoken with a few different authors on my show, and that seems to be a common thread that uh, they have either written many works, but they've never put them out because they lack the confidence or they have tons of ideas or had tons of ideas, but they went sometimes for decades with just those ideas and they never put it into written format. So, and I like the vocal format, so that's why I'm doing this as an audiobook. I love getting on the microphone. And also a little tip when here's because here's how I do it. I'll write a chapter. As soon as I've written it, I'll come onto this microphone and read it in and record it. And that's the recording that's going to go out to the listeners. But during that reading, I'll see, oh, there's a word misspelled. And I'll just kind of make a little note or I could have said this better. And sometimes during the reading, I'll just as I'm reading I'll just reword it. That's my editing process. So as an independent author, you save a ton of money in editing. You don't necessarily have to hire an editor. Uh, but if you do, it'll be less work for that editor to do because there's something that happens when you actually read it out loud. You see some mistakes, and in the active process of reading, you can just make those changes. And then go back and listen to the recording and then rewrite the written part. So editing process, done. So not only are you an author, but you're a musician as well, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What what instruments do you play? Do you sing? Right over there is a keyboard. So I play piano. I think you see a couple of my guitars here uh, behind me. There's a bass over there, and I sing. Um, and I'm a uh, uh, lyricist. So I... I, I've, I've written a lot of lyrics on a lot of different, uh, I've written a lot of songs, lyrics for other artists. Um, I sing background vocals, uh, I've done that. Uh, and I sing, play, write, and perform all of my own music in my own project. Um, so I guess you could say I do it all. Um, but I think what I'm best at is uh, the singing and the, the lyrical part. I'm an okay musician, but I think I'm a pretty good songwriter. I love it. I put a lot into the actual writing process. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I've been doing with music. It's always been a hobby uh, when I was in the states, but it's when I here's that thing about redoing your person, remaking your personality, not remaking your personality, but 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 uh, reforming your professional existence when you move like this. It's an opportunity to do things different. And that's one thing I did. I got, I just dove into the, the, the music business when we moved here and I've been doing it ever since. It's a lot of fun. Very cool. I actually, I play guitar myself. I left my guitar in the USA, but. Oh, you should have brought I, it. Should have brought it. I, 
I will next time. We just don't want to. Guitars are so much more expensive here in Norway. If for no oh, other yeah. reason than that, you should have brought your American guitar. <laughs> I'm sure. I I just I thought you know I'm bringing a lot of bags. I don't want to damage that. That that has a lot of has a lot of sentimental oh, value, yeah. yes. especially now because um. I understand for, that. For my uh for my wedding, I actually performed with my father-in-law. We both played guitar together. It was nice. probably my favorite memories in the world. Oh, I love so it. it has a ton of sentimental value. I love it. I love it. No, music is really, really important to me. If I could if I could generate enough income from just music, whether it's the songwriting part of things or just music stuff combined, if I could generate enough income to live and support my family just from that, I would drop everything else and do just that. That's how much I love it. It's a lot of fun. I just had a gig, uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I got, I was contacted by a Norwegian artist who wanted to film a promo performance. Uh, and he asked me to sing background vocals for that filming. And I only had like a couple of days and I had to learn seven songs that I didn't know. So that, was a lot of fun. And those are the kind of experiences that I have with music. I get to do things that are extremely challenging. And, and um, uh, you know, I, I put myself out there in these precarious positions. Uh, uh, and it's all because of the challenges that music brings to me. And I love it. I just love it. Yeah. Um, let me let me ask you this as we as we wind up. Uh, tell people again where they can find your books. We didn't get, let, let me just ask you, uh, the song of Kursli. First, tell us what does Kursli mean? There's not, not everybody knows uh, that word. Of course, if you're an American living in Norway, after a certain amount of time, you've probably heard Kursli a lot, and you probably know what it means. But for my viewers and listeners who are not in Norway, tell them what that word means. It's just this word that describes a feeling of coziness, comfort, um, kind of like the feeling you might get when walking into a cozy bookshop. Um, it can be, mean that pleasant feeling, spending time with family or skiing. Um, it's a word that is used quite often here, but uh, it, it really, for, for me, it means home. Um, and for the purposes of my book, it's being home, being with family, yeah. um, and feeling that love and support. That's a, again, that's a very interesting book to write in that you still haven't found your position of peace with feeling like Norway is home. But here you are writing about Kursli, which very much identifies with the coziness of being at home. It's very interesting. Now, I haven't read either of your books yet, but I'm going to. And I want everybody else to make sure they know where they can find your books. Can you give them your website once again? And I'll put up a graphic as well. Yeah, uh, so you can visit arlenandthearctic.com. You can also just find The Song of Kishli or Castle in the Big City on Amazon. There you go. And your blog as well is at uh, this, was on the same website. Yes, yes. that's correct. Um, I want to ask you a question uh, as we wind things up here. And this is something that I've done for uh, all of my guests uh, recently. I didn't start off doing this, but I, this came to be a tradition that I do on my show where I ask my guests a couple of, uh, of questions. Um, I'm going to say three words, and then I would like you to finish the sentence for me. Okay? 
Okay. Okay. Arlen Sinclair is. Arlen Sinclair is a creator, um, someone who wants to give more than she takes to the world. That's a beautiful sentiment. If we had, oh, I don't know, a few billion people who thought that way, we'd be living quite differently than, than the way we're living now. Am I right? It's, um, yeah, there's not enough compassion in the world. There's not enough giving in the world. So anybody who is a proponent for those things, I'm with them. So I'm with you, Arlen. Thank you. The last thing I would like to ask of you, uh, you didn't know you were going to come on my show and have to do some work, but here I am asking things of you. Uh, the last thing I'd like to ask of you, Arlen, um, like I say, there's not enough good in the world. There's not enough beauty uh, in the world. There's not enough compassion. What would you say, if you could just say a few words to everybody who's watching and listening right now, what can you say that may help them, help lift them up as they're on this journey through this thing that we call life with all of its challenges? Is there something you can say? Go ahead, please. Just keep pushing forward. You're not going to achieve all of your dreams overnight. Just do what you can. Take small steps. Every step counts. Um, you might take some steps backward, but keep pushing forward. Uh, be positive. Go for your dreams. Even the dreams that people say you won't achieve. There are so many dreams that people thought I wouldn't achieve and I did. So do it. Um, and go for it. Be compassionate to, to yourself. Be compassionate to others because the way you treat others, trust me, it will come back. So be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. Um, and try to try to do the best you can. Beautiful words. Beautiful sentiment. Um, I want to thank you for coming on. We, you know, we have to wind this up now. But I want to invite you back. Uh, I hope this is not the last time you're on here. You have an open invitation. I say this to everyone who comes on, but I want to verbalize it to you very clearly. You have an open invitation. I want to have you back. There's more to your story that I'd like to hear, but because of my time constraints, I've got to wind it up. But would you come back, please, uh, uh, soon? I hope you... I hope uh, absolutely. Okay. Excellent. Uh, Arlen Sinclair, thank you so much for gracing my show. Um I know that there's things that we said that have definitely uh, given me a cause to ponder life and, and uh, reevaluate things. Uh, I hope that my viewers and listeners uh, walk away from this uh, discussion with something similar. Thank you so much, Arlen. Everybody that's listening and watching, remember, go to johnallenpod.com, J-O-H-N-A-L-A-N-P-O-D.com. If you're watching this episode on YouTube, get in those comments, right? Uh, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's chop it up a little bit. What have you guys experienced? Uh, what do you think about our experiences? Get in there in the comments and uh, let's talk about it. Arlen, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me, John Allen. That's a pleasure. And for everybody out there, remember, go out there, love and be loved and enjoy the process. Thank you all. Bye now. <laughs>